I would like to encourage you to um, follow along as you learn best. You can either read on the screens behind me or you can follow along in your own uh, uh, Bible or you can just close your eyes and listen to the words on the pages. We're going to be in two places today, Genesis chapter 12 and John chapter 13. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him, uh, sorry, in him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. John 13, starting in verse 31. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let us pray. God, we um, just sang the song, uh, Your Grace Finds Me. Uh, and that's what we ask that you do, is that your great grace would find us where we are today. The promises of your word is that you, God, through your great and amazing love, can tear down any walls that we build up ourselves. And as your grace pursues us and finds us and speaks into our identity and to, <coughs> excuse me, who we are, I pray that you, um, that your grace would find us and rescue us, redeem us, save us, speak truth into who we are. I pray it's that grace that allows us to leave here changed by your amazing love as we open your word together. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You could be seated. My name is Jordan, and I'm an associate pastor here of Youth and Families, and uh, it's just my privilege to be able to, to teach today. And um, I have, again, the privilege to be able to close up a series that we've been in for a few weeks. This series is, has been entitled Welcome Home, and it has centered on um, really the, the, the purpose of the church. What is the church? Who is the church? What do we do in response as being the church? And so for the past few weeks, uh, where we've been, we've started off with, um, we started off right after Easter Sunday. We got to walk through the book of Mark and beautifully end the book of Mark with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. And then that following Sunday, Matt launched us into this Welcome Home series where he asked a really important question. How are we to respond to the gospel? We've been hearing it for weeks. Well, we hear it every single week. I hope we hear it every single week when we come here. But explicitly, as we were approaching Easter, the gospel was very central, very 
very clear. And so the response is, or the question for us is, how do we respond to the gospel? And his answer to us was, we are to repent, we are to change, we are to believe, also meaning we are to trust that Jesus is who he says he is and trust him at his word. And he spoke into our identity as adopted people. We were once sinners far from God. We continue to be sinners, but we are sinners as adopted children into his kingdom and into his family. So that's how we started off this series. And then we went into a week where a very provoking question or statement was made that uh, you should stop going to church. I don't know if you were here for that Sunday. Uh, read the title of that. I'm like, huh, this is going to be interesting. Uh, but man, Matt made a really good turn and, uh, and made the, the, the comment that we need to stop going to church and start belonging to church and made some really great points on what we need to be looking for in the church, what the church is, how do you uh, find a church, how do you leave a church with grace, and all of these great um, ideas, and even, could we say, boundaries in understanding things that maybe we normally don't talk about. Then last week, we went to a place of, of how do we live out our commitment to one another in this local body? How do we do community together? How do we do life together? And we, we breached that conversation, and it was really healthy and really good. And it is my joy today to be able to wrap up this Welcome Home series as we look beyond the four walls that we are sitting in today. God has brought us together for a purpose and a reason. What is that? How does he want to use you and I? But before we do, i got a question for you. Have you ever been a part of something that was much bigger than yourself? Your first response may be like, well, I don't, I've never changed the world. I've never been a superhero before, so maybe I haven't been some, a part of something that's bigger than, than just me. But I, I think a lot of us probably have been a part of things that were bigger than just you. Uh, let's, let's think about maybe work, for instance. Were you a part of a team where your team accomplished something that you couldn't do by yourself, and you got to the end of your project, and you took a step back, and you're like, wow, that was pretty amazing. Maybe you got a raise at the end of it, or maybe, um, I don't know, you just felt good about yourself. That could be an example, right? Uh, also, parenting. I mean, parenting is one of those things that we have to do in community. There is no one in this room who is a perfect parent. We love to portray that we do parenting perfectly, and we love to make people think that we do parenting perfectly, but if we're honest, we are all sinners at our core, <laughs> and we struggle in doing parenting. So doing it together, doing it with people, wrestling with uh, what to do and how to do it well is, is, is bigger than you, Right? I meet with a guy, uh, he doesn't come to Harvest, he goes to another church, but we meet every single week, and it was getting close to Valentine's Day, and one of us brought up the conversation as far as, how are we going to pursue our daughters on Valentine's Day? That was kind of brought to the table, and we are like, uh, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm terrible at this, and so ideas were thrown on the table. We, uh, we ended up taking our daughters out for Valentine's Day, celebrating them, we came back, we celebrated together, and it was like, dude, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done that without you, and my daughter, I hope, felt loved in the process, and so, I mean, we just need each other. That was a, something a part of that was bigger than me, because I needed him to encourage me in that. Uh, well, what about school? What about studying? Have you ever looked at a midterm or final exam that just stressed you out? until you got into a community, got into a study group 
where you were able to kind of work together. And at the end, maybe you got that C minus and you were celebrating. <laughs> I passed. Or you got the A because you're that person who has to have an A. Uh, I wasn't that person. But um, it's not a bad thing, I don't think. Um, all right, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so for me, my story where I was a part of something that was much bigger than myself actually centers on uh, a team. It was a football team. Um, I loved playing football as I was growing up. Um, let's kind of jump back a little bit, let you into this story. I remember being in seventh grade. So junior high for me started in seventh grade, and that was a first, my first exposure to being able to try out for the football team. I asked my mom, Mom, can I, can I try out for the team? Um, what you got to understand about me is that I peaked out in height in seventh grade, so I was 6'4 in seventh grade, but I was a buck 35, and so um, 135 pounds, and so that means that I was like a stick. You could break me if you really, really wanted to. I mean, most of you could probably still do it to me now, but um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I, I asked to sign up for the football team. My mom didn't want me to, but she knew she wouldn't be able to change my mind because I was so excited about trying out for the team. She said, sure, go for it with the thought in mind. If you made the team, then you, um, you, you won't like it and you'll quit the next year. And therefore it's kind of like, I didn't have to tell you, you told yourself, uh, jokes on her. Uh, I, I loved the sport. Um, I, I got better and better as I just continued on and I just loved playing football. Um, maybe I should say that it was in Texas too. And so, uh, you know, I just like, for those of you who Texas high school sports, that's what I'm saying. Um, it was a big part of my life. For anyone who's played organized sports before, especially for a school, one of the things that you, one of the biggest things you look forward to is making the playoffs. And if you make the playoffs, you win through the playoffs, and then you're able to go to state. And if you win state, that is a really big deal. I don't know why, other than just being able to stand on the stage like this and tell people I went to state. I'm like, you don't win millions of dollars for going to state, but it's more like a pride thing, I guess. And so I was a part of this team, and, and we were mediocre at my freshman, sophomore, junior year, but my senior year, we had a ton of seniors on the team. They were big, they were large, um, and we, we were just a decent team. We had all the tools that it would take to make the playoffs. We weren't even looking at state necessarily. We just wanted to make the playoffs. And I remember there was this one specific game that was huge in our mind. We were playing against New Caney High School, which is in uh, East Texas. And so I doubt that you've ever heard of it. But uh, New Caney High School was undefeated at this point. We'd had a couple of losses, but if we beat New Caney, we would have made it to the playoffs. Um, it was known in our, our city that this was a pretty big game. And uh, I remember us doing warm-ups one day, and, um, or before the game, and uh, the news helicopter flew in and landed. And we're like, oh my gosh, I think we all... Um, just, we all got more nervous. We'll, we'll, we'll say it that way. This was a huge, huge game. Uh, New Caney, their quarterback, was an all-American quarterback. He was... Um, uh, he went to the University of Texas and played uh, behind Major Applewhite, if you're familiar with, with the, that era. And, um, and then he ended up quitting football his second year at University of Texas, and he played baseball for the Cincinnati Reds for years and years. His name was Adam Dunn, and uh, he, during this game that I'm talking about, he broke my rib, and it was like an honor. Like, dude, you, <laughs> you broke my rib. You touched me. It made, made me a little bit better. And... Um, 
I don't know why I brag about that, but, but I do. Uh, anyway, this is just the kind of game that it was. Uh, I love to end stories like this by saying we won the game, we made it to the playoffs, we went to state, and we're like, we didn't. We, we lost uh, the game. We played really hard. It was one of our best games that we've ever played, but we fell short. But the thing that was so cool is that my team, uh, no one pointed fingers to each other and was like, you're the one who lost it for us. We came together as a team. We won together. We lost together. And I can look back, goodness gracious, it's almost been 20 years at that game and be like, man, that team was something special that we were part of. We accomplished something. Even though we didn't make it to where we wanted to, uh, we accomplished something together that we couldn't have done without each other. And so we absolutely were a team. And I think many of us, have experiences like that in one degree or another. This whole Welcome Home series has been focusing on the fact that we as the church are more than just a bunch of individuals who walk into a door together, sit in pews together, sing songs together, then leave. The church that Jesus Christ set up is something so much greater than that. And if you've been with us through this series, I hope that that's something you've seen to a different degree. We are a team. We are a community. We're family. We get to do life together. We are a part of something so much bigger than ourselves as we live out the mission that God has given you and I within the church, just like a great sports team is recognized for how well it does when it works together to accomplish goals and walk through adversities, the church, when it lives out the mission that God has given them, is recognized in, this, in, in an impactful way, just a little bit different. So last week, like I said, Matt really focused on how do we, do, uh, how do we commit to one another what I really want to drive to today is a verse uh, that we read a minute ago in John chapter 13, verse uh, 35, that says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that if you have love for one another, that's what I'm driving towards. But I have some points that I want to unpack and get us there appropriately. So, um, we got some work to do to get us there. So, um, I just want to start off with our big idea that I want to center around today. And then uh, let's just start there. So the, the thing that I want us to see is the same promise that God gave to Abraham. I want us to see in light of ourselves. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, where does that begin is that rightly and appropriately something that we can read and apply to ourselves? Or do we um, just see that was a promise to Abraham? Let's check it out. What was God's promise to Abraham? We read it a second ago, and I want us to read it again. In Genesis chapter 12, um, verses 1 through 3, let's look at this. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed." 
What God is doing, God is promising Abraham that not just the nation of Israel will be blessed, but all nations in all times beginning at this point will be blessed by Abraham's righteousness, by his faithfulness, by his trusting that God knows exactly what he is doing. If you know other parts of this story, you know the promise continues, and he says, I will make your descendants far more greater than the stars in the sky, or I would make your descendants so much more than the sand that's on the seashore. That is the promise that God gave to this man, and it was huge, and we are able to see that God has been extremely faithful to that promise. We had to realize what what God's mission is in life. What is God doing in this world? From the very beginning of time, God has been making worshipers. He has been leading men and women to worship him. And that started before the fall, before Adam and Eve made a sinful choice. They walked in the garden with God and they worshiped him. And God walked again with him and it was a beautiful thing. When sin came in in Genesis 3 and wrecked everything, broke every bit of it, God's mission never changed. God is continuing, and his mission even still today is to create worshipers. He wants to lead people to worship him in spirit and in truth. That has been so from the very beginning of time. And it all, the big story started when he promised Abraham and made a covenant with Abraham and again has been extremely faithful from generation to generation. Let's look a little bit in church history and see how this has played out. God has intentionally walked with Abraham to launch and to start the nation of Israel and his son um, Isaac and his son Jacob and they just continue on the lineage of God's redeemed people. And as church history continues, the whole entire Old Testament, we can look at it and see that God was creating worshiper. God was doing something than just creating a nation of Israel. God was pointing to a fantastic point in history where his son was going to come and redeem and save the entire world. This was God's plan A from the very beginning of time that this is what he was doing and he used Abraham to do it. Jesus came, lived a sinless and perfect life, was brutal murdered on the cross. Also, Jesus gave it in that way and so that all men could be saved and redeemed. So we sit in 2016 looking back at the cross and, and worshiping this amazing God who's doing amazing things all throughout history. But what we have to see is that God keeps his promise through the church. You and I are sitting in this building in 2016, a part of the promise that God has made to Abraham. We are here because God is faithful to his promise. Man, when Jesus was crucified and the 11 disciples were left, you're like, wait, there was 12. Yeah, but remember, Judas was, was kind of divided from the group. And so in the book of Acts, we see 11 disciples who are waiting in an upper room, confused, lost, don't know what in the world to do. And then the day of Pentecost comes and things start making sense because the Holy Spirit fell on them. 
And then Peter preached one sermon and thousands were saved. And the church was began. The church was launched. And these communities were meeting all throughout the, the area and of Jerusalem. And it was beautiful. And it was the beginning of the thing that we call the church. But then Jesus, oh, I'm sorry, and then God brought persecution to the church. I can only imagine how painful that must have felt for the people who were sitting in the pews that day. I doubt they had pews, but you get what I mean, right? How difficult it was when persecution comes. But God had a greater story, a greater plan. The reason he was allowing persecution to come was so that the people in Jerusalem would be scattered and that churches would be planted all throughout the area that they were at, all the way over even into Rome. And we read the book of Acts and we watch Paul making his way to the church in Rome in this 65 69 AD time period we know that the church of, or that uh, Rome itself was not happy with the church the emperor Nero was the one who actually put Paul to death and I believe he's the one who even put Peter to death for their faith in Christ but around 300 A.D., this great man, Constantine, who was a Jesus follower, became emperor. And over time, as, power, as the Caesar power went down and the power of the church rose up, the church had more and more influence in the entire region, in the entire area, and it spread like wildfire. God established his church, had a plan from the very beginning for it to multiply and for it to move. And it is by no accident that you and I are sitting in a church today because this is what God's plan is, is for the church to be the church with one another. So God keeps his promise through you and I. We are part of a greater reality of what God is doing in the world. As we find ourselves here in this place, how are we to live together to further emphasize what Matt said um, I want us to see that Jesus set the standard for how you and I are to live within the body of Christ, the church. If you have your Bibles, make your way to John chapter 13. We're going to read a pretty amazing story in my mind. Uh, I hope it's amazing to you as well as far as how Jesus set that standard. But I want us to know what's going on in John chapter 13. So at this point, we're in the midst of the Passion Week in John 13. So in other words, uh, Jesus has made his way to, towards Jerusalem. He knows he is going towards the cross. This is the final week of his life. And he finds himself in the upper room with his disciples. All 12 of them are in the upper room and they're hanging out. This is the Lord's Supper, the famous painting that we see at places. This is the, the setting in which we see John 13 being written. But the Gospel of John, actually tells some more stories that the other, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those gospels don't share. So we get a different look into what is happening in that upper room. And from the very beginning, Jesus is setting the stage, and it's very different than what we, um, it's in addition to the other stories that we have heard, and it is pretty powerful. Um, I love how he opens this scene. Let's look at John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, 
when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going back to God. He rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Just imagining this whole scene unfold. The very end of Jesus' life, these disciples have walked with him for three years. And now Jesus, just envisioning him having his cloak on, um, a clothespin, take off his cloak, throw his cloak off to the side, wrapping a towel around his waist, and getting in front of his disciples' feet and um, beginning to wash them. Now, this tradition was not, um, th- this tradition was not weird. This was a normal thing that people experienced in this day and age. But it definitely was not a Jewish person. It was a non-Jew servant who usually washed people's feet. They needed to be washed because they wore sandals and their feet were extremely dirty as they were going into the home of the people they were visiting. And so it was a very generous and kind thing to do. So this custom was not weird. But who was doing it was extremely weird because the Son of God, who now they believe this is the Son of God came with a huge sign of humility and servanthood. Bending down, wetting the feet, wiping them clean, and moving on from one person to the next. And then we get to Peter in the story. And Peter's reaction with Jesus is so classic Peter. I love it because I identify so well with classic Peter. He's always seems to be that guy who tries way too hard and sometimes doesn't get it right. I mean, he's the guy who stood in the water with Jesus as they were walking on water together and began to sink. To sink, sorry. Uh, He's the guy that after Jesus was told the disciples that for the first time that he was going to die, he's the one that went to Jesus and said, no way, I will ever let you die. And Jesus calls him Satan. And just moments after even that story, um, Peter denies Christ three different times during the crucifixion story. So Peter, man, I relate so well with him. Let's look at his interaction with Jesus here, starting in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus said to him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. The pendulum swings and Peter's response, verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my head, I'm sorry, my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean. But not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Um, Jesus gets to Peter, his classic response, no, 
You cannot wash my feet. I will not let you serve me in this way. And man, there's good interaction here. I got a question for us. Is this interaction only for Peter? Do we read this in this gospel account in John 13 and read that this is Jesus' interaction with Peter and we leave it at that and we walk on to the next chapter and we try to find something that has meaning for us? Or is there something for us in John 13 that we get to live out here within the church today? My answer to us in answering that is yes. I think it's both. There is a very deep kingdom understanding on what Jesus is doing for all of his disciples and what he is doing as he's interacting with Peter. He's washing his feet, symbolizing something so much greater than just washing feet. This washing represents the forgiveness that he is giving to all sinners. Once Peter gets that and Jesus says to him, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no share with me. And Peter says, well, then wash my whole body. Start with my hands and work away to my head. I want, I want, I want all of it. And Jesus' response is like, that's not the purpose of this. You came in already clean. He was signifying the greater kingdom understanding here is that Peter has already received salvation. He doesn't need to be washed. He came in clean, metaphorically clean, but we need the daily cleansing of our feet. This is what Jesus is speaking to Peter in this moment. He's slowly getting it. We see this deeper kingdom understanding as he references Judas. Judas came in just like Peter came in. Judas's feet were washed just like Peter's feet were washed. But Jesus makes a very clear connection that not all of you have shared with me, referencing Judas. Kingdom understanding going on here. But there's something very deep for us to understand. There is a peripheral um, point for us to see. And I get it from Jesus' words to his disciples later on in that verse. Verse 12 when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for, I, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. The command for the people were to continue to wash each other's feet. Keep doing it. Knowing that how, when they do that, they are not actually giving anyone forgiveness and washing their feet. So the metaphor moves beyond the redemptive metaphor and it moves into the physical love. Show love for one another. Serve one another. Put yourself humbly before one another. Do this life together as the disciples should because this will make um, a, a huge sign to the world around you when you behave this way. Do this. Do it with and do it for each other, washing one another's feet. We read this and we must see that our call by Christ as followers of Jesus in the church is to serve one another. I don't know if that's, I don't think that's new for many of us in this room, but what might be new or what might be harder for us to grasp is when people serve you, our call is to receive what people bring. That's where we struggle. When people want to serve you, we want to keep it at our arm's distance because we're not needy people. We don't want to be perceived as someone who needs something. 
but remembered Jesus on his knees in front of his disciple and says, if you do not receive this, then you have no share with me. We walk into this church building and we have to remember some pretty important things. Big question, how do we serve one another? Here's my encouragement for us. First and foremost, we do not walk into this room as individuals, but we're a part of a team. I don't like that language, so I'm going to move on and say we are a community. We are family. That's how we walk into this place. When we walk into this place, how do we continue to serve each other? We serve each other by making room for each other in our lives. No matter if you're at a friend's house playing ping pong in crazy type ways, or if you're at a community life group, or no matter what you're doing, you're doing life together. You make room for each other. You laugh together, you cry together, and that's just something that we get to experience as followers of Jesus because we have a common bond in who we are in Christ. And that's good, and that's right. So we're not just individuals. We serve one another by making room for each other. We serve one another by celebrating life together. We serve each other by taking sin extremely seriously. That if you have something that you struggle with, I'm going to make this about me. When I have something that I struggle with, it's extremely important that I get humble and I am able to share it to my brothers and sisters in Christ to say, this is something that I cannot conquer on my own. And that, my friends, that is supernatural. When you're able to share from your heart, because that's not naturally things that we want to do or we are good at doing, to say, I am not good in this area. I am a failure here. And it is possible that when I share this failure, you will judge me. But the reality is we know that our brothers and sisters will not judge us, but come around us in love. We also have to be comfortable when our brothers and sisters in Christ are running from Jesus and committing sins, that we are running after them with the gospel in mind to say, come back to Jesus. Here's the sin that I see. Please tell me where I'm wrong so I can apologize on how I'm viewing this or come back to Jesus because I'm right on what I'm seeing. We humbly serve each other. I want to make a really bold statement at this point in reference to this. Just as Jesus said to Peter, you do not have a share in him if he refused Jesus at that moment. I'm going to say that if we refuse to be a family, if we refuse to be the church with one another, we do not share in the blessings of Christ. Because we are not called to be individuals. We are called to be the body of Christ. Why? Why is this so important? I mean, all that I've said at this last few moments, that represents genuine love. Love one another by serving each other, being there and being vulnerable. That is love. Why is this so important in today's sermon? My last point focuses on that. When we do, God will bless the nations through you and through me. When the church lives like a family, it magnifies God's love. It is supernatural whenever these things are happening. And God loves to make his name known by the, by the way you and I live supernaturally together. 
God's done this for centuries and centuries and centuries. He's really good at this. But we need to submit ourselves to his will and to his authority and say, what is it you want from me, God? And what is this church all about? And are all these words that I'm hearing true? Do I need to commit to this community stronger than I ever have so that I can be a blessing, so that we can be a blessing to the world? This kind of love of living together is not easy. It is actually one of the hardest things for us to do, to admit when we're failures and to lean on one another because we are such an individualistic culture that it's easy to do just on your own. But when we lean upon each other, man, God shows up. And the only way you and I could lean on each other is because of the love of Christ flowing through you and me. When Christ died on the cross, he took all that from us and allows us to be able to do this in a very powerful and strong way. Again, not to build us up or make our names great because Jesus wants to make his name great through us. And this is proved in John 13. Let's look at verse 34 and 35 as we close this section. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our responsibility as individuals is to love God and to love others. The expectation that Jesus gives us as followers of Jesus, to followers of him, is to love one another within the church. And we have to do this well. Now let's be crystal clear. I'm not saying that your entire life needs to be built in these four walls. I would actually hope that we have life and relationships outside of the church. It is good to build relationships with coworkers and hang out and do things with those types of people, people who love Jesus and people who don't love Jesus. Get outside of maybe who we are as a church. That's good. Be a light in a dark area if that's what God's call is for you in those moments and do it and do it well. Be with your family members. Hang out with other followers of Jesus from past churches that you've been with. It's okay and it's good. The church doesn't need to be your entire life, but the church needs to be the cornerstone of your life. What I mean by that is through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, it is the cornerstone of our life to where if it was removed, we would fall over. We need to do life better in a place like this than we ever have before so that we can reflect the love of God to the entire world. I hope our lives have diversity for Jesus' name's sake. I also think that we need to do life better together. I'm going to be the first to admit that I don't know if we do this extremely well. We do things, we do a lot of things really well. We have a great foundation for who we are as a church we can grow in areas as well, and I'm loving seeing where God is taking this church, and I'm excited about the conversations that are happening as we continue to grow. 
as an individual, I never want to stop growing. I never want to stop becoming more and more like Christ. Even as a 50, 70, 80-year-old man, I don't ever want to have it all together. And I don't want our church to ever think we have it all together. We need to grow. And this is good. And this is right. Let's grow together. Let's lean on each other for the glory of God. I close with these three things. What are some encouragements for us? I believe every single one of us in this room, including myself, we need to be known by someone, if not a small group of people. For you introverts, that's extremely scary. (laughs) For extroverts, that's encouraging. But we need to do it, and we need to do it well. Be known by others. And as we are known, we need to be honest with one another. We need to be building a relationship to where we can talk freely about the struggles of following Jesus well. And as we're honest, we need to be invested in what God is doing until the Lord moves you on. And I'm not talking to you. I'm not preaching to you about this. I'm preaching to myself because I know these are the areas where I need to grow. And if we all do this, I envision God using Harvest Community Church to reach the friends that we have in our circles to where people who we've been praying for for weeks, months, and sometimes even years come to know Jesus and they surrender their lives to Christ and we as a church get to celebrate that and seeing baptisms happen. So great things happen when we are the church. God makes us, God makes himself known through us. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word and the power of your word. How from the very beginning of time, we can see that you have been drawing people to worship yourself and you are continuing to do that. It just continues to be your mission. Even as we are in relationships with people who don't know you, it is our heartbeat that people who don't know you come to be worshipers of you and know you for who you really are and worship you in spirit and truth like we are able to do even on this Sunday morning as we celebrate you. Encourage us to be known. Encourage us, Holy Spirit, to be honest. Encourage us, Holy Spirit, to be invested. I pray that as we're thinking about these things and as we are hearing your word, I pray that you draw us to just worship you in these last few moments in spirit and in truth and have a good time as a family seeing you for who you really are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.